Man, I got to get to First uh, Timothy myself. So the Apostle Paul is continuing uh, his instruction to Timothy. Remember, Timothy was in Ephesus overseeing the church of Ephesus. He was um, caring for those precious people um, that had gathered together, the Lord had gathered together. And Paul is encouraging Timothy on how to conduct himself in the house of God. Remember, we learned that earlier back in chapter 3. We're told in verse 15, Paul said, I'm writing so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so what he ought to do to oversee the church so that it would be healthy, and not only instruction on making sure the church would be healthy, but also instruction to Timothy as well. Timothy had some struggles that we've, we've, we've learned or we've gleaned from the scriptures, and Paul has graciously been dealing with those struggles as well as we've worked our way through. And it seems to me that the Apostle Paul may be answering some questions here in chapter 6 that might have come up with, uh, with Timothy. And so very strong language throughout the letter, military language, Um, And so let's begin in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. This is the next little section. And here's what God's Word says. Paul writes to Timothy, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. And so it begins in verse 1 there. Paul says, let as many bondservants, and again, in the Roman, at, at this time when Paul's writing, um, the Roman Empire had been ruling all over the lands, and in that culture, there was millions, I'm told, the, the, some people say historians, there were millions of slaves at that time. And the Bible does not endorse slavery. Paul is not advocating the institution of slavery. The deal is, it was a reality in those times, and listen, today around the world, there's slavery going on as well. And so, the Bible, again, doesn't endorse it, and so it is a word for Christian slaves. However, so how do we apply that to us? Since we don't have that, should we just skip these two verses and go on? No, I think the modern, uh, the modern application would be employees with their bosses, or even maybe students with their teachers as well. And so that opens up a whole uh, awesome application for us. So let as many bond servants or employees as are under the yoke. We talked about yoke uh, last week, didn't we? The yoke is that harness that would, would connect some oxen together so they're all going the same way. In other words, all you employees that are together working... There's some instruction here. What are they to do? You're connected as laborers laboring. Count to, you are to view your masters or your bosses as valuable, to have high respect or great esteem for them. So how can you have great respect 
How can you honor or value your boss? I would say number one by working hard for them. No amens to that? Get... <laughs> nope, I'm, you know... By the way, this is not the full counsel on employees and employers. We can find in Colossians, uh, in Ephesians also. I think Peter also touches on this as well. And so I would say that's one way is not, be, not complain. Listen, when we complain, who are we ultimately complaining against? The Lord, right? And so doing it with a good attitude, honoring our bosses, don't, not giving less, not being a slacker. Even Listen, even if they're unbelievers, even if their behavior is less than honorable, we are to honor them for their position as boss. Why? Well, give me one good reason. How about two good reasons? Look at, look at the next, what it says. So that the name of God and his, so that the name of God and his doctrine not be Blaspheme. So are we to make God look good or make him look bad? Not a, it's not a trick question. Are we to make the Lord look good or bad? Good, aren't we? And so we want to protect his name, right? Don't we pray that? Our Father who art in heaven. What's the next part? Hallowed be thy name, right? May your name be honored, hallowed in my life, respected. That's what that means. You ever wonder what that means when you pray, or you just, sometimes we just pray it without even thinking, don't we? Hallowed be thy name, that your name would be honored in my life. And so one way that God's name will be honored is if we honor our bosses. If we work hard, we have a good attitude, we're not slackers. We want to protect his reputation and his word, because why? We bear his name, don't we? As Christians, we bear the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ. And so if we dishonor our bosses with our attitudes, our actions, our laziness, what happens with God's name? It may be spoken of as evil. That's what blaspheme means. It means to be, it means to be spoken evil of, or the word of God spoken evil of. Well, what if my boss tells me to do something illegal or immoral? You say, no way, Jose. Really? Yeah. What do I do? You point him to the word of God. Yes, I will obey you, but I'm to obey Jesus Christ above everything and everyone else. Well, I'm going to lose my job. Then God has something better. Are we to cut corners and cheat and steal? You get popped, what happens? God's name gets blasphemed. The word of God gets blasphemed. Right? Spoken evil of. What's crazy, I just learned this week, in the Roman Empire, masters paid more for Christian slaves. They paid more to have Christian slaves. Why? Because they obeyed these instructions right here. They worked hard, had an awesome attitude. And so um, our Christianity must not only be, be worked out in our homes, but also in the workplace. And so... The spread of the gospel will get messed up when we don't honor our bosses. And Listen, people come to conclusions about our God all the time by the way we live our lives, by the way we respond, the way we speak, the way we act. And so we witness for Jesus by working hard 
with a good attitude. And listen, that's what the Lord wants to do in and through our lives, gang. That's what he produces as we submit to him and say, Lord, I'll do it your way. And what does he supply? He supplies the supernatural and the strength to do it. Because we're doing it ultimately. Even if it's a, it's a, anybody have a bummer job? I've had plenty of bummer jobs. A bummer job can be turned around to be a joy when you're doing it for Jesus, when you recognize that. And that every, one that, every person that God brings into your life is a divine appointment where God wants to use your life and my life to reach that person, to see his kingdom furthered. And so, what if, you got, what if I have a believing boss? What if my boss is a Christian? Should I take like extra long lunches and, hey, Grace, ba- Grace, baby, right? Cut me some slack. Take advantage of them if they're Christian bosses. Let's see what, it sa- let's see what the book says. Let's see what Jesus says today for us. And by the way, in the body of Christ, there's certainly a, an interesting mix. Isn't there in the church? No, there's not, this is not an interesting mix. Bunch of cu- peculiar people, right? Amazing group. But from all, there's, listen, there's some bosses here, there's some employees here that come to church. In that day, same thing. The masters would be, the Christian masters that got saved would be there with the Christian slaves together. Isn't that interesting? In the same church. And sometimes, check this out, sometimes some of those slaves would be elders. And the situation's reversed in the church. Wouldn't that be wild? You're that person's boss out in the, in the workplace, but then you come to church, and that's the one that you're to follow their lead? Just a little thought, just, you know. <laughs> hey, you got a believing boss? What does it say? Don't despise them. Why does he have to say that? Why do you think he has to say that? Because there's some that would dishonor them or despise them or take advantage of them. And so why? Why should you not look down on them or think little or nothing of them? Because they're your brethren. You're connected as family in the Lord, right? Aren't we all born-again Christians, brothers and sisters? Correct? Yeah? We're family? We are family, right? But rather, what should you do? Serve them. That word serve is interesting. It means devoted to another to the disregard of their own interests. Isn't that wild? To obey and submit to them with a good attitude out of love for them. You work hard. Why? Look at Because is a reason word. Because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. The boss is not, the boss is a beloved child of God just like you are. Your boss is the object of God's love just like you are as, an, as a child of God. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? So your boss is beloved and he's going to reap the blessings as you serve him in this way, as you minister in this way. Listen, God loves bosses. No amens? Okay. Amen. Thank you, Lord. God loves bosses and wants to bless them. And employees get a chance to demonstrate this in a, ta- in a very real 
in a tangible way. Listen, I would say this morning, really simple, God wants to use your life in the workplace so that his name would be magnified and that his word would continue to spread where he has you planted. Blossom right where you are planted. And so, it is. listen, when we do it God's way, it's an amazing witness to those around us. When, everyone, when the boss leaves and you're, and you're there still working hard while everybody's chilling out, the, hey, the boss, right, cat's away, mice will play, isn't that what it is, or something like that. Boss is gone, everybody's chilling, and you're working hard, and they tell you, man, come on, you need to lighten up. No, you know what I'm doing for Jesus. It's a huge witness when we don't cut corners, we don't cheat, we do it uprightly. Listen, because God's eyes are always on us. You start, you start cheating your boss, right? You lose an awareness of God's thereness. He always sees. He knows what's going down. And so Paul says, teach. Hey, Timothy, you got to instruct the congregation in these things. And not just that, exhort them. Man, go, come on, you can do this. you got the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what God wants you to do. Again, this is not exhaustive instruction. Um, Ephesians, Colossians, and 1 Peter, you can check that out. He goes on, verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, I love this, this is what's known as clarity, he is proud knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, here's the instruction, what should you do? From such, withdraw yourself. These are strong words. And so this is a very clear profile of someone that is a false teacher or a bogus brother or sister. Bogus, phony is the idea. If anyone teaches otherwise, if someone is teaching another doctrine or deviates from the truth, right? The church, I just read it a minute ago in chapter 3, verse 15. The church, this is the church of the living God right here. Do you guys know Jesus attends this church? He's right in the middle of this church. This is his church. The church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so we are not to deviate from the truth of God's word. If anyone teaches otherwise, and that would include all the instruction that Paul has given to Timothy now to put into practice in the church, um, if anyone does otherwise, and he's going to go on here, he's going to say three things. Number one, does not consent to wholesome words. That word wholesome means healthy. In other words, the, the, it's, it's, it's disease doctrine. When you have disease doctrine, you got bad fruit, is the idea. If, if the words are, that are being communicated don't promote spiritual health, is the idea. Does that make sense? Wholesome words, sound words. Um, wholesome not only speaks of, of health, it also speaks of wholeness as, as like, uh, like integrity. 
And into, integers, those are whole numbers, aren't they? Correct, Michael? Is that right? You, as someone that knows math. <laughs> Integrity, you're whole. There's, it's, it's not phony. The second thing is what? That person doesn't cons- consent to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. If this person deviates from what Jesus has taught in the Bible, what he's spoken in the Bible, most likely you're dealing with a false teacher. And then the third thing is what? To the doctrine which accords with godliness. So if this person deviates from, te- from, from teaching that lines up with holiness or produces holy living, godly character, a godly relationship with the Lord, you may be dealing with a false teacher. And by the way, that happens a lot. Where the grace of God is used as a doormat for people to live any way they want to. It, it, ha- it began a long, you know, it began a long time ago. Jude, you guys remember when Jude wrote that little epistle, that little postcard? Right before Revelation. Jude says in verse 3. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, why, Jude, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. He's like, listen, man, I wanted to write to you guys about our common salvation and how we're saved, we're heading to heaven, we're forgiven, hallelujah. That's fun stuff to talk about, isn't it? But he says, you know what? The Holy Spirit had me change gears to what I'm communicating. And he says, you need to contend earnestly for the faith. Why? Why do we need to not be contentious, contend? To hold on to the truth, to, to live the truth of God's word out. Why? For certain men have crept in unnoticed. There's some creeps. who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, what do they do? What, what does it mean? Who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you guys catch that? They turn the grace of God into, some of your Bibles may say, lasciviousness, lewdness. How about this? Loose living. Hey, you're saved. You can go live any way you want. You're cool. You're, God's cool with that. Oh, you're involved in homosexuality. You're a Christian homosexual. No, you're not. There's no such thing. Really? Yeah, because we're called to depart from iniquity. All who name the name of Christ must depart. From iniquity, I could go through a whole bunch of other things that, that people say it's cool to do that. It's okay. God's, cool. God's not cool with that, with that lifestyle. Well, I went forward, you know, 20 years ago. I'm good. I'm shacked up with my girlfriend. We can live together. No, you can't. Not in God. It's not right in God's eyes, man. Oh, you can do it, but you're not, it's not right in God's eyes whether the same sex or opposite sex or whatever you got going. Turning God's grace into lewdness. 
When we read back here in 1 Timothy 6 about not consenting, it speaks of their attitude towards the Word of God. Listen, the Word of God is to be our standard for doctrine and practice. We should not deviate from what the Scriptures say, the truth of God's Word. Are you guys with me this morning? This is super important. God's Word is to be the standard of what we teach and how we live. The Word of God is to be the final authority. And, and back in Jude, Jude is saying, listen, there's a bunch of people that the Word of God is no longer the authority in their life, and Jesus is no longer the supreme authority in their lives. Well, let's see what it says. we got a profile right here. Behind their teaching is the desire, the motivation to justify a chosen lifestyle. Teaching ungodly things to justify an ungodly lifestyle. That's what it means not to teach according to godliness. He is proud. The person's full of pride. In other words, he sees himself above others. Not only does he see himself above others, but also that person thinks he knows better than God. I don't have to listen to what God, the Word says. I don't need to obey it. I don't need to do it. Or what I have to say is more important than what God has to say. You know what that means? There's no reverence for God. This is what God says. This is Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand is made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. This person's proud. Paul says, that person is resistant to correction. They may give the appearance of humility, but they resist. There's no response to the sharing of truth and love with them. They've rejected the counsel that you give, in, you give to them. They're so dug in. And look, look, look it says verse 4. He's proud and what, yet what? He knows nothing. The guy acts like a know-it-all. But the reality is, God says he doesn't know any, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. This person. He knows nothing about spiritual things. I would say, listen, if you teach or share, minister contrary to the word of God, it's evidence you're a fool. How can you say that? That's pretty that's some that's some rough words, Pastor. Let me tell you, Proverbs 1, verse 7. You guys know what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but what? Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What else? He's obsessed with disputes. It's interesting, that word disputes means word sick. person has a sickness. They, all they want to do is have controversies and quarreling, arguments over words to argue about empty and trivial matters. There's no peace. 
And when the Bible is no longer the supreme authority in that person's life, that's what happens. They want to argue. They want to dispute. They want to, they want to uh, debate, if you will. And so, you know, if someone is like that, if you come in contact with someone like that, I, I always try to say, what does the Word of God say? What does the Scripture say? Who told you that? What does Jesus say in His Word? Let's open our Bibles. Where do you see that in the Bible? Notice the fruit of this dude. Or gal. This could be a gal too. What's the fruit? Envy. The result or the fruit is jealousy or resentment. Strife. They bring division to the church. By the way, these aren't just some random people that just pop into the church. Like unbelievers. This is talking about people that know the word. Paul warned these very elders in this church, Acts 20, that there would be people that would come from the outside, but there would also be people from the inside of the church speaking perverse things, corrupt words, drawing away the disciples after themselves. And now Paul is telling Timothy, he's warning Timothy, this is going to happen. Here's a profile of these dudes. Here's what they're about. Here's what they're like. Here's the fruit what you see trailing their life. There's jealousy. There's resentment. They're always bringing drama and controversy. It's never a good sign, is it? Conflict, division. Does God want his body divided? No way, man. Reviling, criticizing, attacking. They're always critical of those making decisions in the leadership of the church. Evil suspicions. If you got a kid, I like the King Jimmy, King, King James. Evil surmisings. They're always looking with scrutiny. I don't know if that's the look or not. Evil suspicions, speculations, conjecture. That's the fruit of this person's life or his. Or their, or their so-called ministry, or what they produce. Listen, you may not be that person. You may not fit this profile, but you are being influenced by this person. And you're saying, why am I spending time reading my Bible, coming to church, and that's the fruit of my life? Maybe there's someone you're listening to on YouTube or reading their stuff, and that's the influence that you're under. Listen, I love you guys. I get to spend, most of you, I get to see you, what, for 45 minutes on Sunday? Some twice a week, sometimes three. I, listen, I pray for you every day. I have no idea who you are allowing to be the influencers in your life. And it concerns me because I love you and care about you. Because there is a lot of deception going on out there. There's a lot of people, and we're going to see in a minute, why does this person do what they're doing? They're greedy for gain. Do you guys see that in these verses? Well, let's keep rolling. Evil suspicions. Useless wranglings of men. Speaks of, again, bickering, squabbles. Fighting over things that don't matter, irrelevant issues, wasting time and energy, corrupt, isn't that interesting? Corrupt minds. Their thinking is decayed or rotten. 
And I, and I think the answer is right at the end of verse 5 there. Destitute of the truth. You know what that means? Destitute? You got nothing, very little or none. No truth, what are you left with? Lies, deception. You come up with your own ideas, your own stuff. Stuff coming from your flesh or from the world. You bring in things from the world, right? To appease people and make them do the happy dance or whatever. Listen, the Word of God is what transforms our minds. Our minds are already corrupted. We need them to be be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. They are taking the things of God and using them wrongfully. Wrongfully? Wrongly? Is that wrongfully? Is that a word? They're using them in a bad way <laughs> for gain. And that can mean financial or monetary or, or material gain, but it can also mean a following, popularity, power. That's what gain can mean. There's a whole, there's a whole movement in the church based on this, isn't there? The prosperity, prosperity movement, right? Everybody in the church is meant to be healthy and wealthy. And if you're not, you just don't have the faith, man. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Okay? Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Timothy had some kind of tummy troubles. Paul didn't, Paul didn't send him some magic hankies, did he? <laughs> FedEx it over there to you, man. You'll be good. Just believe. Those people are more concerned with physical health and wealth than doctrinal or spiritual health and wealth. And so they're perverting the things of God, taking them and using them in an improper way, manipulating the church for their own personal gain. Um, and he says, what should we do? Hang out with them? Get real tight? End of verse 5. Man, do not stand with them. Depart. Get away. Do not allow these people to influence your life. That's a, that's a huge, huge warning. Red flags should be going up. If those are things that I'm seeing in someone that's influencing me, man, I need to get away, steer clear, see you later, adios, dos fidania, whatever. I'm done. And then he gives another warning here. Look what it says. Not a warning. He says, now godliness with contentment is what is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so, godliness with contentment. Isn't that great? The truly rich person has what? Has a personal relationship with the Lord. And it's translated into a godly, obedient life. It is a life of peace. Right? Remember what we learned in Isaiah? He said, God said through Isaiah to his people, if you would just listen to my words, you would have peace like a river. 
righteousness, like what? Like the swell is flowing right in your life, wave after wave. The right stuff going on in your life. And the truly rich person is content with the Lord. They've learned contentment. Philippians 4. Paul said, I've learned to be abased. I've learned to be abound. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Superman, Christian verse, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look at the SC on my back. Super Christian, not Southern Cal. The context is contentment. And he says it here, right? When we were born, we didn't bring anything with us. I got to see my kiddos, most of them born. None of them had little Gucci handbags or jewelry. When we die, we won't take anything with us. Material things don't last. They're not eternal. And having food and clothing with these basic necessities, literally, listen to this, foods and coverings. Foods, plural, and coverings. So with that, he says, we should be content. Specifically of clothes, but coverings include shelter, or whatever that looks like, sustenance and shelter. A house, a tent, a home, whatever. He says, we shall be satisfied with these things. And contentment comes when we finally, we realize, you know what? I experience everything that I'm made for, and it's in fellowship with the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can we say that this morning? I'm content to be found just in Him, in a relationship with Him, with what He's provided me with. He is enough. Do you know He's enough? Have you found that out in your life yet? Solomon had trouble with that, didn't he? Solomon thought, if I have one more wife, one more gal in my life, if I get one more degree... If I get one more notch on my belt, if I get one more party, one more of this, one, I'll be truly satisfied. And remember the conclusion he came to? It's all vain. That's vanity. And he was a guy that could have everything he wanted. He had, limited res- he had unlimited resources, unlimited time. Whatever he wanted, he could have it. And what was the conclusion? I'm empty. I'm not satisfied. Why? Because there's only one that can satisfy us. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, it's, it's simple. The Lord is my shepherd. That, we complicate it. We make things complex. You know, the, you know, the more stuff you have, the more complicated life gets, doesn't it? Now i got to have locks for my stuff. And now i got more stuff. i got to have a... And i got to have a dog. That'll protect my stuff. And an alarm and cameras and all kinds of other stuff. To pr- and it gets more complicated and more complex the more stuff you get. Got to always worry about people taking your what? Your stuff. But guess what? God has an investment program. He can send it all ahead. We're not going to get to that this morning. That's down a little bit. Look at the warning in verse 9. Heavy warning. How many, how many, don't need a show of hands, how many of you came in here this morning and you've been living life saying this, I want to be rich? 
just be like, just listen. I want to be rich. That's the goal of my life. Heavy. Look at the warning. Those who are continually wanting to be wealthy, they pursue money. That's the driving force in their life. It's their God. You fall into temptation. That type of thinking is a trap. And pursuing wealth, making that the pursuit of your life, you expose yourself to all kinds of temptations. Things that are things that are wrong and unwise. And if, listen, if the desire of your life is to be rich, you're only going to go downhill. The trajectory of your life will go, look at the next part of the verse. What's this? I mean, that's what the book says, correct? You not only fall into temptation, you're caught in a snare. What's a snare? A trap, a prison. You took the bait, man, and you got trapped. Satan dangling those things out there. The the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of of life, all of it's dangling out there. If I just have this, I'll be satisfied. If I just have that, I'll be just a little more, a better job, more money. And that's what you're living for. Paul goes further. If your heart is driven by wealth and possessions and money, he says your passionate desires will suck you into many stupid and destructive things. Look what it says, into many foolish and harmful lusts. Why? Because once your heart is orientated toward riches, what happens, or towards wealth or material stuff, there's nothing you won't do to get ahead financially. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm like seeing some blank stares. There's, I know people like this. Maybe you know people like this. I know people in the church like this. And what begins to happen? Their principles erode. Their morals now what? Start to fade away. The Word of God can't penetrate the heart at all because it's so hard and so deceived. And ultimately, look at what it says. You end up drowning, pulled down. You end up wiped out, doomed forever. That's what perdition means. You, you're wrecked in this life and in the life to come. Gone forever. Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You can have everything. But your soul, that's what goes on eternally. All the other stuff will, be, will burn. Money, wealth, material stuff, that's temporal, not your soul. Listen, listen, don't neglect your soul this morning. Brother, sister, even if you're saying, you know what, this doesn't, this has nothing to do with me, man, it can happen with pride, with all kinds of stuff, power. We have to guard our hearts, how? With all diligence. From, from it flows the issue, springs the issues of life. This is a heart issue. And so there's a fork in the road, going Jesus' way or going the broad path that leads to destruction. Well, you know, and I'm a believer, I wouldn't go down that path. Look at the next verse. For the love of money, you guys ever hear that people quote this wrong? The love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that, does it? In fact, there's not even a definite uh, article in front of root. or uh, It's not the root, it's a root. For the love of money, money love. You got your heart set on it. That's where the issue begins. It's like a tree. 
the root, what's underground. If what happens, many different types of evil, immorality, wickedness. Think about that. What happens when you have someone that has money love and they're living for money and then they start making some? What begins to happen? Man, they're involved with crime, lying, ripping people off, deceit, dishonesty. People sell their bodies. All kinds of evil when there's money love for which some have strayed from the faith. Do you guys see that with me? Some Christians in love with money. Paul knew some. That word strayed means separated, moved away from, abandoned, or departed. They've departed from Christianity. They've departed from the Lord. Listen, you can't depart from the faith and not depart from Jesus. He's what it's all about. Can that happen? Can that happen? Remember Demas? You guys remember Demas from the scriptures? I don't know no Demas, man. Maybe you don't know Demas because he's in the list of names at the end of some of the chapters. And you kind of, what do you do when you hit some names? Don't be lying in church. You guys know what you do. I don't need to read this guy's name. Listen, God knows his name. God knows your name. Isn't that beautiful? He loves you the object of his love. Here's Demas. Remember Demas? Served with Paul. Co-laborers together. Locked arms with the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine serving with the Apostle Paul? How radical that would be? No, nobody could really think about how cool that would be. The last thing, the last letter Paul writes is to who? It's the next letter we're going to look through after we finish chapter 6 in two months. What's what, Second Timothy. Paul's on death row. He's signing off. What do you share with a young pastor? You're about to go home to be with Jesus. Would that be important stuff to take note of? Last words? It, it almost has like, like a very sad, like you could almost sense Paul's tears as he's communicating this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said to Timothy, he said, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. You know what he's saying? That word loved is agape. He said, Timothy, come. Man, no one's with me. I'm all alone. Everybody's bailed out. Demas took off. He, he, he bailed out on me. Why? Had to go do some more ministry somewhere? No. He fell in love. Agape, unconditional commitment. God's love for us, his agape love, an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. 
Demas was unconditionally committed to the world, the things of this world. He ditched, the, not just ditched Paul, he ditched the Lord. Can it happen to us? It sure can. You start out on fire, sold out for Jesus. I'm all in, man. And then what happens? We allow a little bit of greed, a little bit of covetousness. And what begins to happen? We're deceived. We cool off. We pursue lesser things. Wealth, wealth or stuff becomes the epicenter of my life. What I live for. Oh, Jesus said it, didn't he? Remember the parable of the sower? You guys remember the parable? Will a song help you? The sower, the sower, went out to sow. No, it doesn't ring a bell. Third condition of the heart, the seed landed on what? The, amongst the thorns. The thorns choked out the fruit. A life that was once fruitful for the kingdom. Jesus said what? The word of God is now choked out because of the cares, the concerns, and the riches of this life. They're no longer concerned about the things of the life to come. A life that was once bearing amazing fruit. And here's the deal. It can happen to any one of us, myself included. And he finishes that, the section by saying what? They've strayed from the faith in their greediness. Not being satisfied, they want more and more. They've pierced themselves through. It's self-inflicted. They brought pain, sorrows, tons of sadness into their lives. It's a life of regret. Why? Because there's only one that can satisfy us. The Lord is my shepherd. It is the most peaceful, most glorious life. Oh, it's difficult, right? Didn't Jesus say it straight up, right up front? You've gone, you're going the narrow way. It's difficult, man. But the cool part is, he's with us the whole way. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, I'll say the Lord is my help, helper. I shall not want. I shall not fear. Because the best is yet to come. This stuff we see around us is going to burn, baby, burn. Can I help you out with your investment portfolio this morning? <laughs> Don't waste another day. Jesus is coming. Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning, the, the weight, the necessity of it. Lord, we, we need this passage, Lord, to, um, to, to just wash over us. God, please help us. I pray for my precious brothers and sisters, Lord, if there's anyone that is drifting, that you would get a hold of their hearts today. that they would not blow off the conviction of your spirit or the truth of what's been communicated in your word. And that my precious brothers would take away the things that have come from your heart, that we would be um, exhorted and encouraged to walk tenderly before you to serve you, God, acceptably. 
with all reverence and holy fear. For you truly are a consuming fire, God. I pray you'd burn away the the junk today from our hearts. As your word says, that we'd be baptized afresh, filled afresh with your spirit. That we would truly be a, a family under your influence, your leading and guiding. And that truly out of our hearts would flow rivers of living water as you promised, Lord Jesus, as we simply just come to you to drink, to be filled up. That we would make a difference in our homes, in the workplaces we learned today. And everywhere you would lead and guide our feet, we would make a difference, an eternal difference in others' lives. That your name and the doctrine would not be blasphemed, but your name would be hallowed. Your word would be um, magnified. So thank you, Lord Jesus. And as we're still in an attitude of prayer this morning, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, maybe you've been listening and this morning you realize that you've never really come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He loves you. He demonstrated his love for you and for me by coming and dying on the cross for your sins and my sins. He suffered. He died and was buried and rose again on the third day. And he's reaching out to you right now to rescue you, to save you, to give you the hope of eternal life, forgiveness. Best of all, a relationship with him. And if that's you this morning, you're saying, yeah, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I'd love to pray with you to lead you really simply in a prayer right now as you give your life to him. Would you raise up your hand this morning? Let me pray with you most important decision you'll ever make is concerning your eternity. It's not an accident you're here. You raise up that hand. Let me pray with you. If that's you this morning. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Father, thank you so much for this family, Lord, your family, the family of God. Thank you that we are your beloved. So blessed. May you continue to help us, Lord, to grow in grace and the knowledge of you. Bless, I pray, my brothers and sisters, Lord, in a special way as we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's go ahead and stand together for one last song. Justice flows like the ocean.
you this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace, Lord, your grace that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, Lord, that we should live soberly and righteously, godly in this present age, looking for your soon return, Lord. I pray that you would help us to do that. May you fill us with your Holy Spirit, help us to walk in the things that you taught us and instructed us in this morning, Lord, and that you would help us to shine brightly before those around us, Lord, that we'll be ready to give an account for the hope that lives within us, Lord, the hope that we have with meekness and with fear, Lord. So please help us to walk in your word, Lord, to know you more and to make you known. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys.